just in I the am. first couple of years of your incumbency. It's true. It's true. When, when did you get ordained? Uh, in, I think, 2003. So quite a slow learner during your yeah. curacy. <laughs> so there is yeah. nothing wrong with an 18-year first curacy. Okay, yeah. good. Just tell us a little bit about how that happened and where you are now incumbent. Uh, so I... Um, I was asked to come and work for a church called St. Helens Bishopsgate for one year. That was the plan. Did you know that? I was going to be there for one year and then uh, apparently was going to plant a church. And I think I just was never actually old enough or mature enough to do that. So I was kept and stayed there for 18 years. Um, But then during COVID, I um, became the rector of All Souls Lang Place to... I think they're a great surprise and mine. So as a, as a first incumbency, All Souls Langham Place is quite, um, quite big. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, again, partly... I, I just assumed they would want someone who had been an incumbent before. You yeah, can yeah, see yeah. why, I think, if I was... Uh, what's, there, what's your sort of usual Sunday attendance at All Souls? Oh, well, see, the funny thing is, no-one will tell me what it used to be before okay. COVID. So I, I, it, we're about 1,200 now, yeah. something like that. Yeah, so it's pretty big, and it's central London, and it's right next to the BBC, yeah. and, and, you know, has an orchestra that's always playing all over the place on the TV, and yes. Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, and, and in the local village hall, that's right, which yeah, is yeah, yeah. the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so this sort of image that we had yesterday of the median church in England being about 37 people. Yeah. You are one of the churches that is skewing that um, quite substantially. Yeah. Yeah. But I grew up, so I grew up not far from James. Yeah. I, I grew up in small village, um, yeah. normal rural Anglican. Yeah. I was the only one under the age of... Well, I used to say 80, I think actually probably 50 at the time. Okay. Now yeah. 80, because the person who was 50, she is still there. Yeah, and she's, she's now 80. got older. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, good. And what are the exciting things about being in a church like that? What's, what's great? I, yeah, loads of things are exciting about it. Um, it's a bewildering and exciting place. The, the exciting thing about central London is the way demography in, in England works, is that people tend to be born and grow up all over the country, and then they tend to, not only London, but they tend to come to somewhere like London for a period of their life. Again, this is what James told us he'd done. And then they tend to go back to the rest of England again. So there's a lot of nonsense talked about London as a sort of successful diocese that is, you know, does well on young people and does well on ordinance. All of that is nonsense because the rest of the country sends all of their young people to London for a decade. Mm. And so actually, London is this astonishingly underperforming diocese that Mm. does not have nearly enough young people in church and does not send nearly enough ordinance Mm. because it's something that 50% of the people under 30 who go to a Church of England church at all do so within the M25. Some statistics like that. Um, And so actually if there are going to be vicars and church wardens mm. and... Half they, of them should come from London. Yeah, and spend their time yeah. being trained and uh, yeah. discipled and taught the doctrines of the Church of England while they're with us. And that's really fun to do and exciting, mm. but also mm. a challenge. And, yeah, and absolutely. And you're somebody... I mean, we heard about James S.A. and how he ended up General Synod, Archbishop Council, all this sort of thing. You're somebody who's also been involved. You've been an yeah. assistant DDO. You've been on General Synod. I mean, we're on a, this standing commission together... Tell us what it is that you love about the Church of England that makes you want to get involved in that sort of way. Yeah, thank you. That's one of those questions where I get to give some of my talk in advance, okay, which great. is great, which will save you some time later. But it, um, 
Yeah, I thought in the talk it'd be good for you to know that because this will affect how you hear and weigh up whether what I say is useful for you. Uh, I'm someone who is um, so thoroughly in the Church of England that you know it's it's you you can't sort of see it. So I so grew up near where James is from. My you know you could go back hundreds of years, and everyone in my family was either a vicar or a church warden. You're, a, you're for, a patron of a church, aren't I, you? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a bizarre thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That you just inherit a patronage. Yeah, so I, I showed up to interview someone for the job at 18. Uh, they, they came in. I think they were warned before they arrived, but that was when I first did that. Um, uh, so, yeah, I've been in the church wing, yeah. and I am thoroughly... So, where's Owen? So, in terms of doctrinally, convictionally, I would choose Anglican... Mm theology and polity every time uh, I have I decided to get ordained before I was converted uh, before the age of 10 um, uh, this fun stories to tell bishops there uh, around around that so I in a sense yeah I'm and I I love a number of things that have been said um, I I actually also love the the I don't love the diversity diversity is not um, actually a desirable thing in New Testament terms um, but I do love the people. I could have been anything mm. that, it, that we meet at General Synod. Can we so, qualify that? There's some kinds of diversity sorry, yes, that we do right. really love. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, no I, and I will again say something about you. are right. Thank you for rescuing me. Um, the, the way that phrase is used by bishops is yes. if theological breadth, to the extent yeah. to which it now exists in the Church of England, is somehow virtuous, yeah. when clearly it isn't. Yeah. Um, but I... Um, I, I was for a bit, well, I was for quite a long time, I'm a Roman Catholic. I've been uh, liberal and charismatic and a whole variety of different things all at once growing up. And there is no one at General Senate who I could not have yeah. turned into. Yeah. Um, so I, even though I don't love the range of diversity, I do find it very easy to love all of those people. Yeah. And I even quite enjoy the meeting them yeah. and talking to them. Wonderful. Well, let me pray and then... Um... Uh, we'll hand over to Charlie. Father, thank you so much for uh, bringing Charlie uh, through that whole history uh, with the Church of England, that heritage uh, in his family and into ministry uh, in a way that uh, celebrates and glorifies you uh, through um, the historic foundation that we have in the Church of England. And Father, as he shares with us now, some of the ways in which uh, he serves the Church and in which we might be called uh, to serve the church. I pray that you would be speaking uh, to each of us, showing us uh, the work that you have prepared in advance for us to do uh, and how that might be uh, indeed through the Church of England. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Russ, and thanks uh, those who joined today. This, um, People who were not here yesterday, I'm going to talk about the talks yesterday and you'll have to catch up. I think they were recorded, were they? Yeah, so um, you've, um, if you've not been here, you, so yeah, we've had three General Senate weirdos speak so far, haven't we, in terms yes. of how you've chosen that. And Lee, who's very normal. Um, and Lee, who's entirely normal. Um, so you reminded me I need to record this one. Oh, there you go. That's, I've just been rude about you and it's not on the recording. Um, so let me tell you, um, let me tell you one strange General Senate story. This is from July. Uh, this summer, one of many journalists. It was um, the first time I'd ever been ambushed by a journalist. Uh, that may happen all the time in your life. Um, so proper ambush. I walked down into the tea room. My mind's sort of full of the debate that had been going on. And a journalist who I did not recognise said, Charlie Screen, 
are you leading the Church of England? And I, ooh, it's a very strange, uh, totally weird moment. But at least it was a very easy question. No. Uh, no, I'm not. And it's Ros's talks yesterday made, made clear no one is leading the Church of England. Um, and I, I am certainly not. But on reflection, because that journalist also ambushed some other people and asked them um, the same question, on reflection, what he actually asked was, Charlie Screen, are you leaving the Church of England? That was, the, that was actually the question. Um, which is a, is a harder question, um, and it's a question on our agenda today. There's the panel discussion uh, later on. The, the factual answer is still no. Um, that I have no intention of resigning anything or leaving anything. Um, but I do expect the next 10 years to be very difficult. Uh, and in 20 years' time, it may be that it is no longer possible to be an ordained evangelical within the Church of England structures. Uh, in other words, the Church of England may leave us. Uh, new evangelicals may be unable to join, at least in licensed and ordained roles. So um, the question of what we should do, and in particular, junior conference, what you should do with your life, um, is a serious question that I think you need to give serious thought to. And um, the panel later will be addressing this, and I think you see the logic of the three talks so far. So the Church of England could be amazing, but it is actually, oh dear, so um, come and join us in changing it and renewing it. Um, the church that needs you. That's this talk. Um, it's slightly unfair, isn't it? That word need in our popular consciousness is so thoroughly associated with the 1914 to 1918 war and a, a particular poster about your country needs you. So I think in that sense, I am here as Kitchener, um, but without the, the moustache. I'm actually slightly disappointed the beards of Jake are not as splendid as I thought they would be. Um, so I'm, I'm slightly... Um, slightly yeah, well, it's just not... Where's the, where's the body in it? Um, <laughs> um, but in a sense, that, that's... I'm Kitchener. You are um, the potential conscripts, uh, England's lions. And uh, I think, does that make the, the newly invented prayers of love and faith um, the equivalent of the machine gun. Um, so the, the new and invented thing that might um, gun us all down at the knees. Um, so I, I'm not leaving. Um, I do want you to come and join me um, and stand alongside me. I definitely need your help. The Church of England will need all the help it can get. Um, but I think you need to know what that would mean. Uh, if you were to do that. I only want those who will make that choice with their eyes open about what kind of muddy ditch it is that you're coming to join me in to do that. Um, I hope I can assume that everyone in this room wants to give their whole life to the gospel in England or to the church in England. Uh, again, Ros is very careful in distinguishing Church of England from the church in England. And the church in England is the bride of Christ, uh, is... God's great work on earth is entirely unassailable. The gates of hell will not prevail. Um, but as Ros told us, the Church of England is a denomination, not a church. Um, and so there will be difficult decisions for you um, at every kind of big decision stage. So 25 years ago, um, no, it's less than that, isn't it? 2003. Uh, it's only 20 years ago. That's nice. Um, I very nearly did not get ordained. Um, and 99% of the older clergy treated me as if I was just sort of having an attack of nerves. 
in basically said, calm down, dear, you'll be fine, um, with only two exceptions. Uh, one was Vaughan Roberts, uh, who some of you I know know from Oxford, and he said, conscience is essential. Uh, if something is wrong in your conscience, then it is sin for you. Uh, whether your conscience is mad or not, you know, we can try and change it to conscience, that's totally legitimate, but if it's wrong for you in conscience, it's sin, don't do it. And then um, Philip Jensen said, uh, at an equivalent to this conference, said, your decision is not the same one that I made 30 years ago because things have changed. So again, I'm not at all here to say, because I got ordained or because I became an incumbent, you must... Uh, because things change all of the time and you need to make your decision. And decisions are not universal uh, as if um, you know, everyone, if they just opened their eyes properly and read the Bible properly, uh, would all get ordained or whatever it is. Um, I think particularly three ways. It, it depends the extent to which you are in already. Um, there's, there's different decisions if you're already ordained, already an incumbent. Um, it, it definitely depends on what actually happens in the next six months, two years. Um, you know, some kind of very slow, very polite, very Church of England watershed moment is happening. Uh, it depends what actually happened. I think also it does depend what sort of person you are. Um, I, I can't answer the, the question from last night about why so many keen evangelical people, once they become bishops, uh, lose their um, evangelical faith. Um, and I, again, I agree completely with Ros's talk, Lee's talk. It has always been like that. It always will be. Uh, there is no other way. But certainly you can say it would have been better for those individuals if they had said no to becoming a bishop. I mean, that's the thing. I've been in lots of rooms with bishops over the last year, um, many of them with good evangelical convictions as of two years ago. Um, that, that has been deeply painful, uh, watching that. It's certainly better for them if they'd said no, potentially better for them at this point when they were in this room 30, 40 years ago to think, ah, do you know, I'm not sure gospel ministry, I'm not sure I'm suitable for gospel ministry. Uh, so there are people who shouldn't and i'll say a bit about that um later on um if you can understand what's coming and you then need to think about the sort of person you are the lord's made you and then think about how the lord can best use you uh in your lifetime and which is why i was going to say a little bit about myself that i've already said uh so not only am i incumbent of a particular parish that is is kind of locked into the Church of England in all sorts of ways, 70 million of them in particular, if you want to know financially, uh, is how locked in we are. Um, but also my background, my convictions. Um, I Also, I mentioned um, I knew I wanted to be ordained before I was a Christian, but I didn't know. Uh, my big decision was whether I wanted to be an ordained Roman Catholic or an ordained uh, Anglican. That was the big decision. Again, I wheel that out for bishops sometimes to surprise them. Um, and um, that has left me with a slightly Roman Catholic view of history. And uh, I think you need to understand that a bit about me. So partly it means I, I'm really clear the Church of England is a human institution of moderately recent invention, um, which again is what Ros was telling us yesterday. But also it means I have total confidence that everything will come right at some point in the next 500 years or so. Um, no question about that. I, I don't, I just emotionally, I don't get the, most of the bishops seem to have this thing, but at the moment no one will talk to us and take us seriously if we don't change on that. I, I just don't understand why you would mind about that. 
It's always been like that. And uh, the God of history is totally in control. Um, the only thing we don't know is whether the Church of England will come right or not, uh, or whether the Lord is actually destroying the Church of England in judgment. I said that to a very senior figure in the Church of England. Um, I think they were slightly surprised, but I, you know, I, we don't know that. Um, and we don't need to know, actually. All we need to know is what to do next week, uh, or what to do next summer, or what to do with your next job move. That's all you need to know. And the other thing you need to know about me is, like uh, James and Ros, and I think like Lee, they didn't say so, um, I um, am a, an optimist um, of a sort of fairly extrame kind. Uh, with Church of England, are you an optimist? Okay, but he's yeah. Okay, every other day. Um, so I I can see several ways that from here we end up with a renewed and reformed Church of England. Um, I can see several ways in which that is already happening. Things already, you know, long, slow processes already underway by which that would happen. And in fact, twenty years ago. Uh, I remember saying to someone, this is quite exciting, isn't it? Because in our lifetimes, we will find out what happens. <laughs> um, I think we are at a once-in-a-500-year moment. Um, and, you know, if you're at all interested in history, it's quite fun to be here. Uh, as it, as it ha- we are going to know whether the church thing is going to be reformed and renewed or whether it is going to be destroyed by the Lord, I think. Uh, but we don't yet know. Um, I'm an optimist, but I'm an optimist with a tender conscience. Uh, and my observation is that normally doesn't go together. Uh, optimists normally also have sort of robust consciences and pessimists often have tender consciences um, but I um, straddle so my desire, my strategy my need would be to stay in the Church of England uh, no matter what but actually there are, there are a whole list of things that I could not, cannot do um, in my conscience I, I believe very strongly in the split between temporal and spiritual. I hope we'll talk about that in the panel later on. I think that's really important, uh, and that will enable me to stay for a long time because there's a lot of issues I'm actually quite relaxed about because they're temporal, not spiritual. But on the spiritual list, my conscience says no much earlier than some of my friends. So I was really struck in Lee's talk. Um, I'd not seen in one twenty five the to ordain a false teacher or to ordain a known sinner is to share in their sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned patronage, and I think maybe that applies there as well, to install, institute a false teacher, a known sinner, is to share in their sins. It's very like the verse in 2 John, uh, where it says if you partner with a known false teacher, you share in their wicked work, which um, that was the sermon in College Chapel uh, that made me and a bunch of our friends think, oh, maybe we shouldn't get ordained. Um, I think probably the principal was not happy that sermon had been preached, but... Um, those are important. So, for instance, I could not and will not be able to invite a known false teacher to preach at All Souls, uh, whatever their job position is. I watched a, a YouTube video of um, someone who yeah, is sort of the All Souls of the Episcopal Church in North America, uh, stayed in, uh, was good, fruitful ministry, biblical ministry, um, but he reached the point where he could no longer invite his Darson bishop to preach. Um, and it was at that point, actually, his congregation asked him to leave. Um, so that, for me, that would be a non-negotiable. I can't give my money or collect other people's money uh, for uh, an institutionally false teaching church. Um, I decided I could be a DDO and love doing that, um, but that was only because the decision to ordain is made by the bishop. 
Um, and because of that, I could not be a bishop in the normal Church of England because I don't understand how you can do that without ordaining or instituting false teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I praise God for um, brothers and sisters with less tender consciences. Um, uh, thinking of several of my close friends who either are already or will be um, bishops from a sort of HTB type network background. Uh, one of my main optimistic hopes for the future of the Church of England is that those men and women will be sort of left behind in the driving seat uh, after everything has collapsed and will then kind of open the doors and invite me back in. Uh, that's one of, my, one of my hopes, but my own conscience. Um, so I'm going to lay out a sort of case for staying, case for getting involved in the Church of England because of the huge need in the Church of England and in England. Um, but it is a case that sort of strikes me as the person I am. Uh, and you need to work through how this would work out for you. So I've got three sections, um, and uh, they go in the order of sort of the one I'm definitely sure is true comes first, and then it kind of <laughs> fades out. So um, first of all, uh, the church that needs you, first point, um, the, the scriptures are all that you need. So the church that needs you and the scriptures, which are all that you need. And um, Ros, Lee, James... They've all said uh, there is nothing new about this crisis. Uh, James mentioned the the martyrs. um, The New Testament is full of what we need. Um, It's crucial to understand that nothing has gone wrong in the Church of England. Uh, What has happened is that everything has gone normal. Uh, To the extent that the Church of England was ever better than normal, um, this is normal. Um, It doesn't mean there are easy decisions. Just as normal doesn't mean you must get ordained or become an incumbent or stay Um, but this is normal and that means that the scriptures are ready for us in this situation Uh, the 21st century pluralistic world the sexual confusion to be persecuted for the truth including by those within your denomination it's all there ready for us and I want to show you three um, personal examples quite quickly though I think all of the scriptures do this Um, First one will be 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Um, where's Helen? Helen basically said yesterday she's never heard me give a talk that was not from 1 Corinthians 15, so I thought I would just for, um, just for her. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 is a chapter that teaches us how to stand firm. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Um, Lee's quote last night, one of the problems in ministry is that you have no idea whether what you're doing is of any long-term worth. Um, Paul has written an entire chapter about how you can know the labour is not in vain. Um, And you can do that because of the physical resurrection of your body in the future. Um, This is the opposite of you only live once, so give your life to the Church of England. Um, This is you only live twice, you have two lives, and your best life is not now. Uh, The new creation is both better and goes on for longer. So you have one life now to sacrifice in the service of the gospel. So the decision for you to make is not at all about your comfort or about the kind of rectory you will get, or your pension, or your status. It's entirely about what kind of sacrifice of this life is needed now by the people in England who God is calling to himself. Um, And verse 58, um, I wouldn't want to overplay this, but it assumes 
there's a, a presumption to endurance and staying where you are and standing still. Again, that doesn't make the decision for you. And several people in this room are not yet, if you like, married to the Church of England as thoroughly as I am. Um, and, you know, before you're married, you're allowed to stop. Um, and that's fine. Uh, and that things change once you're married. Um, but hardship and pressure, um, the New Testament is always talking about that and says that in those situations, the gospel person stands firm, stands still, endures, don't let them move you. And um, it means as well that um, this is actually nothing like Kitchener sitting in his chateau, sending um, people off to die without understanding the cost. Paul gave his life to this. Who wrote this verse? Jesus gave his life for this. And actually, the, the only possible gain for you and me is losing our lives with Jesus. Uh, every other, verse 58, every other kind of labor is in fact in vain. Uh, you keep your life and you lose your life. Um, second verse I take to be Micah chapter 7, verse 9, which I had to put a bookmark in. So feel free to uh, use the contents page to find it. Um, I looked. Um, it's not actually even in the new expanded version of uh, Lee's book, Fight Valiantly, Micah 7. Um, so, um, but this is a verse I have found profoundly helpful. Micah, um, he's a prophet of sin and repentance in an Israel that doesn't want to hear that and that he becomes to understand is definitely going to go into exile. Um, in fact, it's the worst possible situation for Micah because he led the revival that saved Israel from the Assyrians in 701 BC. Jeremiah tells us that. But by chapter 7, after the revival, he is convinced that Babylon is coming uh, and that uh, exile is certain. And uh, what do you do in that situation? What do you do if you find yourself in a declining, uh, falling apart, degrading church and state? Uh, do you rage against it? Do you complain? Uh, do you exit? Well, no. Verse 7, you hope. I watch in hope for the Lord. But verse in 9, Micah 7 verse 9, because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and establishes my rights. Um, do you see why I found that so helpful? God may be judging uh, our nation and our church, our denomination. Um, of course, the suffering and the cost of that will come to me too. Uh, I am also a sinner. I'm also affected by the sins of my culture and the sins of my denomination. Uh, of course, the, the, the things that the Lord is doing will happen to us. Ministers who preach against the prosperity gospel somehow seem to believe in a version just for our ministries and our churches and our denomination. Um, Micah was besieged with the rest uh, by Assyria. Uh, Micah's home village was burned with all the rest in Judah. Micah is expecting to be exiled to Babylon. In fact, it was his grandchildren or great-grandchildren because of the patience of our gods. Uh, but if God is judging our culture, of course we will feel the pain of it. Uh, our culture's confusion will be played out in our families and our friends. Our churches will be full of conflict, not least in the next 10 years. Uh, the local media will uh, parade us for ridicule. As Ros said, my local media is the global BBC. Um, so that would be fun. Um, but no complaints, like Micah, because I share the guilt. And God is good, and his judgments are good. Uh, and I will wait for his vindication 
uh, whether that is 50 years or 500 years, uh, whichever it is. And then um, the last one isn't a single verse. Um, sorry, last is still on point one, remember. Um, but all of Lee's charges for the last 10 years, so all of the pastoral epistles and acts, that same presumption that what you do in hard circumstances uh, is you keep going and you endure. Um, there's also a sense of start again, uh, 2 Timothy 4. Um, you know, if there are no Christians left in Asia, that's all right. Just do the work of an evangelist. Go and find some non-Christians. Let's start a new church. That's fine. Um, but it's normal uh, for false teachers to come from among you. It's, in fact, normal for them to be your best friends. Uh, Demas and Phygelus, Hermogenes, it's normal for there to be conflict. It's normal for churches um, led by false teachers to be growing. Um, it's extraordinary in the Lord's kindness that generally liberal churches aren't growing. 2 Timothy 4 makes me think they should be, actually. Um, and we'd still have to keep going and, and teach the gospel. It's normal for there to be secular persecution. Um, and this is where James's point like yesterday, that the grass is not greener anywhere else. Um, and I say that with no criticism of other denominations whatsoever, we are going to need each other, their help, uh, as brothers and sisters alongside us. But there is nowhere where you can find... Uh, purity and peace and growth and safety. Um, the Church of England needs us, uh, needs us to be people of the Scriptures, uh, and everything that you need uh, to do this in the Church of England is there for you in the Scriptures, uh, that realistic sense of ministry in the Church. Um, when I was pre-ordination, I did the Cornhill course. Chris Green used to come and teach to Timothy every week, uh, and every week he was utterly miserable we used to sit on the back row and call him um chris green never knowingly cheerful um and um and it was nothing could have more helped me keep going within the church of england than that biblical realism that this is what ministry is like most of the time okay that was the first one uh the scriptures are all you need second um you are needed in every likely future in the Church of England. Okay, so now you see we're moving from the Bible that I'm sure is true through to predictions about the future, which I'm not at all sure will be true. Um, but it's important to be realistic and to face what might come in the future and to think about what you would do uh, in advance. So um, I am optimistic. I'm still optimistic about the long-term future of the Church of England on a sort of 50-year scale. Um, but you have to take seriously what might be going to happen. So I am, I think, 47. I think that's right. Uh, I'm 47, and I'm the rector of a parish. I think I'm in my last job in the Church of England, uh, in terms of not going to look for another job. Um, and it's possible the Lord will preserve me until retirement age, which at the moment is 70, but probably the way the church is going will be about 83 by the time um, I get there. So um, there's sort of 20-plus years... Um, Will the next rector of... Will it be possible for the next rector of All Souls Lang in Place to be an evangelical Christian, to be orthodox on sexuality, to be able to avoid sharing in the work of false teachers? And on balance, um, I think the events of the last 18 months have tipped me from probably yes to probably no. Uh, I'm hoping, I'm praying for a, a faster revival than that. <coughs> Um, but the, the lesson of other denominations around the world um, are that there's at least an even chance no. Um, uh, if I'm hit by a bus in the next two years, I think probably yes. 
uh, particularly while Bishop Sarah is still Bishop of London. Uh, 23 years, no, I think probably not. So it's sensible to plan for the, the need of the gospel, the need of the church in England and the need of the church of England, if that did happen. So your decisions will be slightly different. Um, getting ordained in two years' time, uh, for me, that would be probably yes. Uh, licensed as an incumbent in five years' time, for me, that would be probably hope so, but I'm quite tender-hearted, conscienced. Uh, I'm not sure, though, that in ten years' time, it'll be that easy for me to receive curates from the, your equivalent sitting in this room in ten years' time still. Um, I've not given up. Uh, I'm not leaving. Uh, it's not the end, uh, even of the Church of England, but need to make serious plans for what might happen and what you will do. So let me give you three possible futures um, and how you will be needed in all three of those possible futures. So one possible future is the, the Church of England decides not to introduce the prayers of love and faith uh, or anything like that. There would be a huge outcry uh, from the revisionist end of the church, there'd be a huge disruption uh, in our sort of place in the national consciousness. Uh, there was a Times article yesterday, or even maybe this morning, that is, again, the latest on that. So what is the point of the Church of England if it isn't for liberal social change? Um, but if, um, if the Church of England did decide not to introduce the prayers of love and faith, I think we would settle onto a steady trajectory towards increasing orthodoxy. I think without the presence of love of faith, that, that is what would be happening. Um, I think even if, and this is how close it was, even if three clergy members of General Synod had voted the other way five years ago on the bishop's teaching document, then it would have been approved as an orthodox statement of the kind of holding position in the Church of England. Uh, or if we can find other ways of holding this off, um, the numbers of ordinance who've been coming through compared to those leaving, the numbers of parishes being revitalised, the numbers of churches being planted, the increasingly rapid death of the normal Church of England layperson, as they have been uh, for the last 50 years, all those things will mean that those who go to church in the Church of England will be increasingly orthodox, increasingly evangelical. We had the question last night, um, are there yet you know, an increasing number of evangelical churches? I'm not sure in terms of parishes, but that is because churches that used to have 50 people now have 30, now have 20, now have 10, now have two. Um, and each of those are still parishes. They still count in the numbers. Uh, but those two people, they are now 70. Um, and those will not be parishes anymore uh, in 10 years' time. That's not, so radical changes coming to the church thing one way or another in the next 10 years, even without prayers of love and faith. Um, there was the question yesterday about money, um, and isn't it um, terrible that dioceses are running out of money? I, I don't think it's terrible at all. Um, I think one of the things that has been wrong with the Church of England for years is this huge slab of money from dead people that means that the people in charge don't need to listen to the people who go to church at all. And I think one of the ways the Lord is humbling us is the unwinding of that in most places. Um, that could be very positive. Um, and if that happens that scenario, we are going to need you um, to renew and reform and take the Church of England forwards. Uh, all of the votes in Senate have been on a knife edge. Uh, David Porter, who was the, the Archbishop of Canterbury's uh, right-hand man, told me 10 years ago, Synod is a draw, and it will be for decades. 
Um, uh, you know, we narrowly win some votes, we narrowly lose other votes. We will need you to be elected to synods, we'll need you to vote no again and again and again over the next 10 years. Uh, we will need you as incumbents, as college lecturers preparing the next generation. We will need you as church planters and church revitalizers. Uh, uh, and even if that first future is the only one you could envisage staying under, um, at least stay until the door is shut. Um, at least don't leave in advance just because people are jumping up and down and shouting. Um, only leave when you have to. Okay, that's one future. Second future is where the Church of England does decide to introduce the prayers and love and faith, but with some strong provisions for Orthodox people within the Church of England. That's the outcome. That, so um, the other two talked about the various rooms they've been locked in, talking to people within the Church of England. The rooms that I've been locked in over the last uh, year or so have mainly been uh, this, Church of England meetings, trying to work out what it would look like to make strong provision for Orthodox people within the Church of England. And I don't want to overpromise. promise um, I, I think so far we've achieved very close to nothing at all. Um, the, 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 next, um, the next conversations begin in a week, um, and there are some signs that this time actually these are serious conversations, but um, who knows until you get there. But um, in that situation where there is prayers of love and faith but strong provision, um, we need you. Um, so one of the wonderful things about the Church of England at the moment is that both sides, if you want to call it that, are convinced that they will win in the end. Um, yeah, so we are convinced we'll win in the end because of the gospel and uh, the Bible and people become Christians. Yay! Um, and the, those who want change are convinced because of culture. Um, and they just think that in the end the church will reflect the culture and they can see that the culture is now thoroughly convinced of the change. So a settlement that would pause the conflict while we wait to see who is right um, could be brilliant. Um, it, it's clearly not stable as a landing place, is it? Um, the, the, I think, is it the Methodists in England have said we have two incompatible versions of the truth, and that is good, and, and there's no way that can hold on an issue this profoundly important for people's lived um, discipleship or an issue that connects so closely to central issues about the gospel and scripture and ecclesiology. But if it holds for 20, 30 years while one group declines and the other group grows, um, who knows which the Lord will do, actually, but we will need you uh, as others retire, as others leave, because their consciences force them to. We will need you to come and join uh, so that it will grow. And even if um, it begins to go badly, um, we will need you for... Um, and I, I know I've taken, we've spoken about this, I, so it's probably in here, I can't remember whether I'm remembering a conversation with Lee or remembering reading it, but we will need you for um, what is called a fighting retreat. Um, and I actually think that might be the number one need for gospel freedom in the UK uh, over the next um, 50 to 100 years for all of the denominations in the UK. What is most needed is a competent fighting retreat from the Orthodox within the established church in the Church of England. Um, so at the moment, the state religion's official position is that sex is only for one man and one woman for life, and that anything else is a sin to be repented of, and that that is how you should discipline your clergy. That is the official position. Um, if we move from there to 
um, that is one protected position, even that will still be good protection for every FIEC <coughs> church, Baptist church, Pentecostal church, Roman Catholic church that rents a school or employs staff or uh, holds meetings in a town hall. Uh, in fact, for every mosque and every synagogue and everybody else, this is protection for. Because um, pride is now the new state religion, uh, the new established church is quite fun, you know, telling them, do you, do you know how miserable it's going to be being the established religion to a secular state? They don't care about you, really. Um, all these companies with their pride flags, they don't really care. Welcome to our world. Um, but, um, but still the law is uh, with the old state religion, which is us. Um, and actually the slower, uh, the more gradually, the better we retreat and, and lose the better that will be for everybody else and the gospel in England. So um, we need you to come and join in with that. Uh, and 20 years, 50 years is a very long time. Uh, and cultures change. And things that seem obvious now will not be obvious in 50 years' time. Um, and the, the liberal plan that if the church becomes more liberal, suddenly England will come flocking back to church, uh, there, is, there is zero evidence of that happening anywhere in the world and certainly not in England. So um, losing slowly is very good. Um, third, though, maybe they will introduce the presence of love and faith without secure provision for the Orthodox. Um, I think if that happens, then we will settle into a steady trajectory towards increasing liberalism. Um, I think it'll be increasingly hard for new ordinance to join, um, and I think uh, we'll find... Uh, things gradually getting worse. In particular, um, a, a huge percentage and growing percentage of the people who go to church in England were now born overseas um, and grew up in places where um, the, the issue of sexuality is thought about very differently culturally. Um, certainly for us little souls, that is a huge percentage. Um, and a, a Church of England that moves on this will, I think, just cease to attract uh, some of those people. We, we've been saying to bishops, uh, bishops, this plan of yours, do you realise that if you bring in these prayers, what you will get is a church of England that is older and whiter and more liberal? And they, uh, yeah, it's Obviously, those things are true, and they're quite surprised when you point that out. Um, even in that scenario, we still need you. Uh, there will still be a lifetime of work to do in that situation, because um, the change will be slow. Church of England is a bureaucratic uh, slug, isn't it? And um, even the sort of most enthusiastic liberals are talking about now as being 1985. Um, so they're using as their illustration the, the change around women's ministry. That's their illustration, not mine. The issues I don't think are comparable. Um, but they're saying, actually, this is about 1985, uh, which is seven years before 1992, uh, when the first uh, women were able to be ordained presbyter, and is a long time before, 20 years later, the first woman bishop. Um, so the Liberals are thinking this is a long, slow journey, and there will be work to do then. Uh, some people's consciences will mean they're unable to move to their next role. Once that happens, that's fine. Um, stay where you are. That's okay. Teach the gospel wherever you are. Uh, some people will need to leave uh, formal ordained ministry, um, and will, I hope, receive no criticism uh, from, uh, certainly not from me, but from, from anyone in this room. If your conscience tells you how you must serve Jesus, then we say thank you.
for serving Jesus. But while that happens, um, we will need uh, you, if you're able to, to be doing gospel ministry within the Church of England and to be building the future for the gospel in England. Uh, both within the old Church of England and outside in partnership with others, uh, those who leave, those who start afresh. And we'll need to do that together. Um, and I've been surprised over the last 10 years, um, particularly some new wine figures, so I know well and I know our sort of instinctive stay-whatevers, uh, saying, I don't know if I will now finish my ministry in the Church of England. Um, yeah, okay, it's not a reason not to start, you don't know. Do you remember when we used to get payslips? I'm so sad they stopped doing it because every, every month we used to get a payslip and it would say the Church of England paying you. And to think every month that somebody in the Church of England would pay me to do this for another month um, is like a little miracle every month. So, okay, let's do it for another month. Um, no reason not to join uh, until your conscience says you mustn't. Um, and we'll need us and traditional Catholics... Uh, and whoever you are, complementarian or egalitarian or charismatic or conservative, within or without the official Church of England, to stay together and stay in good relationship over the next 20 years as we see what the Lord will build uh, and see how much of the Church of England as now will be in the future. Um, let me just, my third point is quite brief, I hope. Uh, is that okay? Yeah. You're doing so this is about the kind of person the church needs, um, and uh, that's about the kind of person you are and the life you think you can face. And this is slightly um, rhetoric. I hope you don't mind rhetoric. Um, in other words, I want you to join. I'm about to describe the people who I think should not join. Um, and what I'm hoping is that we will all say, Lord, please make me the kind of person who <coughs> can stick at this. Um, so uh, I don't think that people without consciences should join. Uh, if you don't have a conscience at all, it's not safe for you. That is how the Church of England breaks people. Uh, if the only way you can join is against your conscience, you're no good to us. Uh, that's not the kind of world we're going into. Um, I don't think you should join if you're the sort of person who is unable to face hostility and conflict. Um, yes, the grass is not greener anywhere else. But there is a particular kind of conflict coming in every parish, deanery and diocese, um, and the, the world where you could keep your head down in your own parish no longer exists, in my view. Um, I don't think you should join if you're unable to say negatives, uh, even to bishops. Um, bishops keep telling me that General Synod is unrepresentative, uh, the laity and the clergy. Um, and it's hilarious, really, because they are the not-elected house, mm. and they think they are representative, and the rest of us are not. But it's also sad, because the reason they think that is because everybody they meet yeah. doesn't tell them what at least 40% of the Church of England believes, because we won't say hard, negative things to bishops. <coughs> Someone senior in a dozen stuff um, was begging a group of us re recently... Please tell people, when you ring your bishop and say, I'm very worried about what's happening, and they say they're there, please tell them not to say thank you for being kind and put the phone down. You, you have to say, no, bishop, really? This for me will mean this and this and this. Um, I don't think you should do this if you're unable to take action. Um, and you need to answer something. Loud people are not the best people at taking action. Um, people who will take action are the best people at taking action. Those are the kind of people we need. Um, and all of it is in Lee's book. 
Um, so the, the money and broken fellowship and all those kind of things. Um, and uh, and that, that if you're unable to do that, probably uh, you won't be able to help the Church of England. Uh, if you're unable to help it, hope in God when things get worse year after year after year, um, probably you shouldn't do this. And if you're unwilling to do politics, you probably shouldn't do this. Um, it's boring. And it's a real effort. I once got fewer votes in a deanery election than there were licensed clergy at the parish I was at. Did you vote? Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, it's an unrelenting effort. Um, one of the things that has unquestionably harmed us in the last 10 years is bishops have not read their paperwork. Haven't had time to. It's not necessarily their fault. But, you know, there, there is unrelenting, tedious, boring stuff to do. Um, I think if you can't work with uh, other Orthodox who are different from you, uh, you shouldn't do this as well. So um, this is slightly a plug for our seminar, Katie and my seminar later on. Uh, I think um, the experience of women bishops from complementarians and traditional Catholics is a real problem as we're trying to negotiate scenario two at the moment. And actually, if we cannot learn how to relate well to each other and as people leave or stay in the Church of England. Um, and then last one, uh, if you're unable to accept risk and stress and anxiety on your family, uh, you shouldn't start. So the possibility of losing your house and your child's school place and those kind of things. Um, and I just want to end on a positive. That might be nice. Um, all of those things are actually how the Lord uses us. So hostility, I have found, leads to conversions, including of same-sex attractive people. Um, you take action, and the world doesn't end. In fact, the bureaucratic Church of England promotes you after you've taken weird, hostile action. You say the negatives, and the people you're preaching to are discipled. And God is good. And actually, suffering is good. Um, final illustration or thought. Um, there's a couple in our church called Bruce and Izzy, uh, he's ordained, and their house burned down last week, and they lost everything. Um, and they went to talk to a friend who had had that experience, and they said, but our memories, we can't give our children the photos and the memories. And the friend said, yeah, but you can give them the experience of how to respond when your house burns down. Hmm. Yeah. You can show them what it's like to live for Jesus yeah. as things fall apart. Ephesians 3.10, we had yesterday... Uh, God is showing everyone the church. What if the thing he wants to show us in our generation is our suffering uh, and us being defrocked and evicted and whatever it will be, uh, and if that is what he's doing for his glory? I'm going to stop. Have I used up all the time? Is the time for questions? I think what we'll do, um, because there's there's a lot in there for people to, to think about and reflect on. Charlie, thank you no, so no. much. Yeah. Um, I feel like... It's the, the sort of most measured and careful and thoughtful Lord Kitchener speech uh, that, that I've heard. Um, so rather than uh, maybe have questions now, as Charlie said, we will have the panel discussion later. Charlie will be on that, Jan will be on that, um, and one or two others. So um, do you save up questions for that? But also Charlie's around until uh, sort of dinner time this evening, uh, Jam as well. Um, the, the rest of us, you know, today and tomorrow as well. And, and do you just talk to people? Because every one of you will be in a different situation. People are at different stages. 
how how married to the church you already are or are not you know you will have to think through your own conscience your own um character uh, and what the lord is calling you to do and we'll have different questions about that so i think we won't do questions right now what we maybe will just do is take a couple of minutes um for you to to think about that yourself and pray about that uh, and then i'll call us to close and we'll we'll sing uh, in a couple of minutes